The NFL draft begins Thursday night, and Alabama quarterback Bryce Young is expected in many circles to be the number one overall pick in the draft, and that will be a reminder that Bryce Young is no longer Alabama's quarterback. And if you needed further reminder of that, all you had to do was watch A-Day on Saturday, Alabama's spring game, two quarterbacks leading that competition, Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson, uh, coming in fits and starts, I guess, their production throughout that game. Some good moments and some bad moments as well. We will get into that later on the uh, back half of this episode of SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. And before we get into NFL draft talk and uh, what we saw from Alabama and LSU in their spring games on Saturday, first we start with some national championship conversation, John, because you can get your bets in already. And even though ESPN's FPI has Georgia at number three in their analytical-based football power index, well, the sports books, they disagree. Uh, across the board, every sports book I've seen, not surprisingly, has Georgia as the odds-on favorite to win what would be its third consecutive national championship. And generally, you see Alabama and Ohio State coming in behind them. We're going to offer eight teams that we think are maybe the biggest threat to Georgia to win what would be a third straight national championship. We'll each offer four. John, you got any surprises on on your list that uh, I should brace myself for? Or should I, I just look to the, the latest Caesars sports book or uh, uh, your sports book of, of choice? Who else we got? You got Bally's out there. You a Caesars guy? You an MGM guy? Where where do you get your loyalty card with? We don't we don't have a sponsor for this podcast. So if you want to want a sponsor, we'll we'll take your money. Uh, yes, we will. Uh, yeah, I I've got my own tout service going. I've always been a kind of a a loner when it comes to that. I don't need anybody telling me who I should pick, whom I should bet on. So. Uh, I think we both, in discussing this, we we kind of came up with the same group of teams that we think could could challenge Georgia. I think the most important thing to remember about this is how difficult it is to win three straight. Winning two is very difficult. Two back-to-back, it just doesn't happen much. Uh, but three, that that's a whole different ballgame. I remember covering... Uh, back in the 2005 season, you had Southern California going for three straight, played Texas in the Rose Bowl. USC had everything it took to win another national championship. That might have been as uh, that team might have been better than its first two teams that won championships. But Vince Young had one of those epic games that uh, turned the game Texas's way in a historic upset, and Southern Cal went down fighting but it went down. So it's very difficult uh, to do that. And and sometimes the teams we think might knock a team like that off, we never see them coming. Going back to last year, Missouri, of all teams, had Georgia on the ropes during the regular season. So uh, I guess uh, you want me to lead off and give a yeah, th- throw couple, one out throw there. Out a couple of teams? Yeah, throw, throw one or okay, two out there. Well, let, let's start with the SEC. Uh, Alabama, Alabama looks like maybe a nine and three team, but you look at Nick Saban's track record and you just can't dismiss Alabama. You can look and say, oh, the quarterback, not sure about the quarterback. Uh, Bryce Young is gone now. Uh, not sure about, is there an outstanding running back there? I can't pinpoint one. What about a go-to wide receiver? That said, Nick Saban often has been at his best when the odds seem against him. When people are saying, ah, Alabama's dropped off, Georgia's a kingpin now. And he will admit Georgia's a kingpin right now. But I think he will be very motivated, and I think that will that will transfer to his team. So I just would not rule out Alabama as an obstacle. Great programs when they are in an underdog role, can be extremely dangerous. They're used to having all the pressure on them. High expectations, got to win the championship. Anything short of that is a failure. 
Alabama say it's playing Georgia for the SEC title would be probably an underdog, and that might serve it well in, in that game. So Alabama's certainly one of the teams. The other SEC team would be Tennessee. Obviously, the best, the the most likely stumbling block for Georgia in the regular season, playing at Neyland Stadium, which is one of the has become one of the best home field advantages in sports uh, under Josh Heupel, I think. And I think it's uh, Tennessee might be a, I don't know, maybe seven and a half point underdog based on one of the lines I saw. But that's, uh, you know, that makes it a player. And if Georgia loses that game, one regular season loss doesn't knock you out of it. But but what if Tennessee goes on and and loses only to Alabama? Then Georgia, you know, it doesn't control its own destiny. And so that, that to me, from the SEC, that would be Tennessee is a game Georgia needs to really point toward, and I'm sure it will. Yeah, I think uh... – you know, both these these teams you've pitched sort of have some merits as as uh, you know threats to to Georgia repeating, and they're both a little bit flawed. And you, and you touched on on Alabama in particular. It's sort of do you look at the track record or do you look at what's actually in front of you? And I know we'll get into the the spring game a little bit more later, but um, you know there was consecutive plays on Saturday that Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson threw interceptions. Now. We've talked before on this podcast. If you're if you're reading too much into spring games, um, you're setting yourself up for uh, <laughs> I think bad takes, bad opinions. But um, but it is is it's just one practice out of fifteen. But I, I think it and Nick Saban will admit it, it speaks to what he's seen throughout the spring. I mean, he he said this in his public comments. He's seen some good and some bad from his two quarterbacks. Well, that's what we saw on Saturday. Uh, as you said, I don't think there's uh, a, a clear cut bell cow in the backfield. Uh, I did really like their, their five-star freshman from Alabama, Justice, Justice Haynes. Um, he, he looked like he was spawned out of a weight room, um, you know, early enrollee freshman. And, and uh, yeah, he could have, could have fooled you as passing for a 25 year old bouncer at your, your local watering hole. Um, so I like the potential of, of him. Uh, but that, that's what this Alabama team is to me. It's long on potential, but maybe not as many proven faces as you would you would like for a team to truly be a national championship contender, uh, particularly at quarterback. With Tennessee, we know they're going to score. I question whether they have the defense to make it to the college football playoff, but you hit it on the head there. Their biggest game is with Georgia, and, and the advantage of that is it, it is a home game and wouldn't be surprised. Well, it'll either be that that afternoon special or it'll be a night game either way i think neyland will will be rocking so i think it's a stretch that tennessee gets to the playoff but in terms of a threat to georgia sure it's it's on the road um and and it's the toughest game in georgia's regular season so i I think that that makes them a a fair threat um all right you you threw out two from from the sec i know you got a couple more teams outside the conference uh but i'll get us rolling with a couple of non-conference teams uh off my list and and i know uh, you share the, the thought on, on some of these as well. First off, Ohio State. I, I think really, if I were to identify a, a favorite to win the national championship this year, to me, it's it's really only a two-team conversation. I know the sports books would tell you that Alabama's the, the number two favorite to win the national championship. I, I think that's based a lot on on betting trends and the name on the front of the jersey. I, I think it's either Georgia or Ohio State as, as the preseason, the true preseason favorites to win it all. I know they got to replace C.J. Stroud, um, but Ohio State's pretty loaded. They, they have what I would say is the best wide receiving core in the country returning, led by Marvin Harrison Jr. He's a superstar. Emeka Abuka, another wide receiver. Uh, they got Kyle McCord is, is the transition there at quarterback after C.J. Stroud, but the spring reports on him is that the future still looks very, very good uh, at quarterback for Ohio State, and we know that that is is usually the case. They gave Georgia all they could handle, really, uh, in a game that came down to to really the final seconds in the college football semifinal that was almost a de facto national championship. So I would start with Ohio State. I would also have Florida State as one of the top threats to Georgia from outside the SEC. Florida State's sort of a, a trendy dark horse for the college football playoff. 
sort of in that camp. They finished last season playing really good football, won their final six games of last season, a program that has gained momentum under coach Mike Norvell. Florida State actually ranks number one in the nation in terms of returning production, according to the analytical formula applied by ESPN's Bill Connolly. So they bring a lot back on both sides of the ball. Uh, they got quarterback back Jordan Travis, running back Trey Benson. It's a pretty loaded, loaded roster off a 10-win team last year. Now they do have a, a tough game coming out of the shoot in week one, neutral site game in Orlando against LSU. Uh, but but Florida State would be a team that I, I look at that has a lot of momentum uh, that, that could be a team that could could threaten Georgia as well. Yeah, I th- I certainly can't argue with Ohio State. It's probably it has been for a while. First under Urban Meyer, and then under Ryan Day, a, sort of a top three program. You lump it together with those two SEC programs, Alabama and Georgia. Just a, a tad short of them, uh, or as you pointed, came down a field goal. Ohio State's miss. Ohio State misses a field goal. Georgia makes it onto the championship game. Uh, Ohio State never seems to be short in any position. It, it loses players. We see the same thing happen at Georgia and Alabama. So that's a great that's a great pick. I think it, the schedule is so beneficial to Ohio State. Yeah, the Big Ten's considered a tough conference, but who's really good enough to beat Ohio State in that in the Big Ten? I mean, head to head. You, it's kind of the Michigan game. It, it's just all to me all about the Michigan game. You win that. It it lost it last year and still got in the playoffs. So that tells you that Ohio State has a great road to the playoff, and I don't think it would lack confidence going against Georgia if they met again in the playoffs. So, yeah, that's a, that's a surefire pick. I'm not as certain about Florida State, but I – Kind of look at Florida State now the way I once did Clemson in the ACC. Uh, I mean, everybody knew Clemson was just going to win the conference, and it, it had a it had a nice uh, nice road to the playoff. I see Florida State that way. Uh, Change my. There's a lot of speculation about Mike Norvell. Did a Florida State make another bad hire until last season? And I thought. There, then you saw what a Mike Norvell offense is like, and you saw his uh, recruiting success. Uh, he's always been a, considered a, an offensive guru of sorts and a and a good recruiter. I think that program, that team, will now play with a lot of confidence. I think that win over LSU really meant something to Florida State's program in the season opener last year, and that's going to be a a great matchup. I guess uh, when I look at uh, outside the SEC, uh, I've already mentioned it, Michigan. Um, no, Michigan doesn't look as good on paper as Ohio State does. But, boy, Michigan controlled that fourth quarter last year head-to-head against Ohio State. It's won two straight against the Buckeyes. And I think in rivalries like that, that really means something. You get momentum going. You go out on that – Go out on the field. You beat Ohio State on its home field. You get a lot of confidence from that, and I think you'll find uh, Jim Harbaugh and his team will have a lot of confidence against uh, Ohio State next season. So I wouldn't dismiss Michigan, even though it suffered some losses, uh, because it looked pretty formidable against Ohio State in the semifinals last year. Uh, and the other team outside the the SEC, I guess, would be Southern Cal, and uh, came so close to the playoff uh, this past season, just blew it against uh, Utah, and that could happen again. Lincoln Riley, just a tremendous offensive coach. We saw that at Oklahoma, but when you get near the playoff or in the playoff, he was sabotaged by his defense, and that's what happened against Utah one game away from the playoff. Zoe Kenny, I think they have seven starters maybe coming back on defense. Will they be better? If so, I think they would have a shot of qualifying for the playoff because they've got the Heisman Trophy quarterback. Caleb Williams can can win a game for you. So I still see uh, it, I Southern Cal uh, is a, a more distant threat 
uh, to Georgia in terms of ending its uh, winning streak. Yeah, those are two good ones, John. I, I think uh, Michigan, it's it jumps out to me that their game against Ohio state this year is at home. I mean, I, I like Ohio state better a little bit as, as a team, as a roster. Uh, but those are going to be the, the top two programs in, in the SEC or excuse me, in the big 10 again. And Michigan has the benefit of that being a home game. So if only one big 10 team gets in this year, um, you know, maybe, maybe that favors Michigan a little bit there with it being a home game course, as you said, last year, the big 10 got to Southern Cal. They, they sort of fall into that Tennessee category with me, you know, offensively. Sure. looks, looks like the makings of a, of a playoff type offense at, at USC. It, it, it was the same way last year with Caleb Williams as, as quarterback defensively. I, I don't know that the defense could get to the level where I feel like they're a threat to win the national championship, but I also think I, I like the teams that return a lot of production year over year. Now, you know, when you got a program like like Georgia's had the past couple of years, you are pumping talent to the NFL. Uh, that'll be confirmed, you know, Thursday through Saturday of, of this week in the NFL draft. And so you're not going to be among the national leaders in returning production. And that's not the end of the world for Georgia because, you know, you got a new wave of five star guys stepping in to replace them. But if you're not recruiting necessarily at the level that Georgia has been doing, I look at those teams that, that return a lot of production and some of your national leaders in terms of returning production as far as programs that could seriously threaten for the college football playoff. I mean, I'm not talking about some of these group of five teams that return a lot of production, but, you know, mainstream playoff contending programs, Florida State returns a ton of production, uh, Southern Cal returns a ton of production, and so does Michigan. And, and all three of those are on our list um, you know, as, as, uh, threats here to Georgia's three piece. So I'll, I'll throw out a couple more, John, you, you've, you've got your four out there. I've got a couple out there. Uh, LSU would be another one from the, the SEC. I know you joined me in that thinking that LSU is a really dangerous team this year. You'd, you'd mentioned Alabama and Tennessee, and I know we're in agreement on LSU returning Jaden Daniels, who, who looked great in the spring game on Saturday, completed 10 of 11 passes. Garrett Nussmeyer, the LSU backup quarterback, would be good enough to start on on several teams in this conference. A uh, ton of talent returning on offense. I believe it's nine starters back. Uh, a lot of guys back on, on uh, the front seven as well. Lost some edge rushers, but LSU always can find edge rushers. Uh, Harold Perkins, as uh, the sophomore, he, he had a phenomenal freshman season sort of leading that defense mason taylor will be back from injury and and the lsu secondary was a weakness last year i thought brian kelly did a a really nice job addressing some of those needs uh in the transfer portal uh added several bodies but it, it wasn't just quantity he added quality as well uh that that i think is going to kind of transform the back into that defense and then if i were to take a flyer on one john um, and I do this with some hesitation just because we've been fooled by the Texas Longhorns before, but I thought Texas was a much improved program last year in year two under Steve Sarkeesian as compared to his debut season. Went eight and five, all five of the losses were by one touchdown or less. Uh, that included two games in which they were without their quarterback, Quinn Ewers. They lost that Alabama game where he was injured in the first half. Uh, they also lost to Texas Tech. Quinn Ewers was was injured, did not play in that game. Texas returns a lot of its top talent from last season, including all five starters on the offensive line. Uh, Quinn Ewers will be back. Of course, a lot of buzz around Arch Manning, for sure, the five-star freshman quarterback, but Quinn Ewers is the, the designated starter there at quarterback. Got to replace B. John Robinson. Won't be easy to do that, but elsewhere... I think Texas is pretty well stocked. And and like I said, um, all their losses were close last year. I know that can be the battle cry of the eight and five team, but it also can be uh, an earmarker of, of a team that is ready to go from, from eight and five to 11 and one. When I, I I'm, I'm in agreement on LSU and I think you mentioned the talent and, and what Brian Kelly's done there in a quick turnaround used every possible resource. He's recruited well, and he's also gone to the 
gone to the transfer portal and gotten key players that fill positions of need. He's flipped the secondary. He's got star power. And what I also like about LSU, two, I think, two good quarterbacks, not one, two. And it's hard to find teams that have that now in the transfer era. So, I mean, I think you could – if you had uh, Nussmeier, Garrett Nussmeier in there as your quarterback, I still think LSU could challenge for the playoff. And how many teams can you say about that if they lost their number one quarterback that they could contend for the playoff? I think that speaks to Brian Kelly's ability and to the overall talent. Uh, Texas, uh, when, when you look at the eight teams we've mentioned, Ohio State, Michigan, LSU, Alabama, Florida State, Tennessee, Texas, USC, eight teams. The coach that doesn't belong there is Steve Sarkeesian. All those guys, all those other coaches have proved what they could do. And I, I still look at Steve, Steve Sarkeesian as a terrific offensive coordinator, but I'm not sold on him as a head coach. I just don't know. You pointed out those close losses. Uh, sometimes those close losses can come down to a, a call, uh, a decision by by a head coach. So that you're right about the talent, and you just keep a, keep thinking at some point Texas has got to break through. But we've been saying that for a long time. So I would still with Texas, I'm kind of okay. Show me. And when we put Texas in there, and I had it. If I'm picking eight teams, I would have had Texas in there too. But what we do, we leave out Oklahoma. And I'm not sure Texas will be better than Oklahoma. And, and Texas also has that week two game in Alabama. Um, you know, so we're going to learn a lot about both those teams, you know, in the, in the month of, of September and whether they're contenders or, or pretenders, I think, for the, the national uh, championship. You mentioned a lot of these coaches of, of these eight teams we've talked about have, have proven themselves, John, and, and Sarkeesian maybe is an outlier. Would you, does Mike Nor- Norvell fit into that category as well? He would, he, I mean, he, he's probably the other outlier in that group of, of teams that we're talking about being, um, you know, possible threats to Georgia for a national championship. I, w- I would also put him in that category. Yeah, you could. He's borderline, but I thought last season he did something that to me, Steve Sarkeesian hadn't done as a head coach. Yeah, until uh, before last season, he, he and Steve Sarkeesian were the same guy, basically, as a coach. All right, John, changing gears. The the NFL draft uh, begins on on Thursday night. Are you, are you, we'll get into some of the particulars in a minute, but I'm curious your your thoughts just as a uh, as an event. Are you a are you a big draft guy? Are you one of those guys that? you know, we'll watch most of this coverage throughout the course of, of three days. Cause some people love it. You know, it's like their favorite sporting event, even though, you know, it's not really a, a game, a contest. It's just a three day television show. Um, but there is a lot of interest in the draft. Some people, you know, you got reporters that like cover it all, all year. Mock drafts are, are always, uh, you know, popular stories. People like to read. Uh, what is, uh, what is your interest level in, in the NFL draft? Uh, on a one to 10 scale, I would say about one and a half. Really? Not a draft uh, yeah, guy, huh? You no, know, not at all. Uh, and most of it has to do with ESPN. Uh, I used to watch the draft years ago before it became an e. It was still on ESPN, but it wasn't an ESPN production. And, and heralded it as big, as big as a Super Bowl and promoted and marketed for months and months and months. I'm tired of it by draft day. I've read all the mock drafts. Um, the problem I have with it, and the reason I liked it more in years past, I can remember when Paul Zimmerman, who covered the NFL for many years uh, for Sports Illustrated, was an a- analyst for the draft. And he was totally candid extremely blunt he wasn't he wasn't uh, uh making prediction he wasn't expressing an opinion with the thought that the ESPN and NFL are just one big happy family he just said said what he thought i mean he would just sit there wouldn't smile just shake his head sometimes and frankly i i don't know what they were thinking with that pick Hmm. Just baffled by it. But now they always say, well, this wasn't 
this wasn't an obvious pick at this point in the draft, but you know, they've had success like this before uh, going against the, and so it's always, they're so placating to the NFL. Uh, you know, every, there's no bad pick. They're all good picks. They're just good, better, and best picks. So yeah. that, that really turns me off. And it's almost like it, it goes on so long, the promotion of it on ESPN. I just, I just get weary of it. I'll probably watch some of the first round. All right. Well, I guess we'll stick to the, our first round conversation then since yeah. you'll be tuned out after the first round. But <laughs> wanted to ask you about the quarterbacks because this is a, a pretty, according to the draft experts, pretty deep class of, of quarterbacks. And, and Bryce Young is the projected number one overall pick. Uh, that would be to the, the Carolina Panthers. It was sort of a debate for for weeks now, I guess, whether it was going to be Bryce Young or or C.J. Stroud, the Ohio State quarterback, as first off the board. And then, and then there's a, a group kind of of three more quarterbacks that are uh, discussed as being that possible third quarterback off the board. That's Will Levis of Kentucky, Anthony Richardson of Florida, and Hinden Hooker for Tennessee. So three guys from the SEC, you add in Bryce Young, and and four of the top five quarterbacks selected in this draft are expected to be from the SEC, uh, and all five of those guys could go in the first round. If you had to go with with one as your number one pick, John, and the conversation's probably between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, do you do you lean in, in one direction or, or another? It seems like the Panthers uh, are leaning toward Bryce Young and, and could formalize that on Thursday night. It's almost as though the Panthers changed their mind. At first, I thought they were uh, more in favor of C.J. Stroud. Uh, I I raised my opinion of C.J. Stroud in in the championship in the semifinal game of the college football playoff. The way he played against Georgia, that to me was a you know the highlight of his career. Uh, he not only threw the ball effectively, he ran more than he has. He did He did what a quarterback has to do in a big game uh, and and almost won it. He didn't lose it. His, his, team, his, his team lost it, but he didn't lose. He, he gained ground. But I still like Bryce Young uh, a little better. Part of that is perhaps having watched so much of him. But to me, he's kind of a – he's a Patrick Mahomes type. Uh, not quite as big, but he just makes plays. He refuses to give up on a play. He's got those, just that incredible knack for for raising his game in those precious moments when when the outcome's hanging in the balance. So very accurate, mobile, and I know there are questions about his size, but we've seen other guys not so big do well in the NFL now. So yeah, that to me is not a real. I think you either the whoever dra- drafts CJ Stroud will will be happy too, but I think you to me you got to go with uh, Bryce Young. That you're passing on a future Hall of Famer. That's going to be kind of strange, John. Is uh, it's possible Alabama has four players selected in the first round of the draft? Uh, Bryce Young, as we said, could be the number one overall pick. Will Anderson. The edge rusher, star linebacker, expected to be a top ten pick, and then you also have Brian Branch, the safety, as as a potential first round pick, and Jameer Gibbs, uh, if a running back goes in in the first round, could potentially be Jameer Gibbs. Sort of late in the first round is where some of the mock drafts have him. So Alabama could have four first round picks. Last year, the first round was was just dominated by Georgia. I don't think Georgia is going to have as many first round picks this year, and it's possible Alabama will have more first round picks than what Alabama or than, than what Georgia has, which I think is going to be kind of a strange look. You know, normally the, the draft is kind of a coronation of the of the season you just had, right? I mean, last year uh, it was Georgia player, Georgia player, Georgia player. We saw after the the 2019 season, LSU. Uh, you know, it was a coronation of of that team. Alabama, many times, their their national championship teams, uh, then several players from those teams dominate on draft day. I, I think it's going to be almost a little bittersweet. You know, of course, Alabama will, will celebrate all these guys going to the NFL. It's, it's great for the program. It's great for the athletes, the whole bit. But I do think it is a little bittersweet when you realize, oh, there was a lot of talent on that Alabama team. Flawed, though, it may have been. It wasn't, wasn't perfect. 
had some deficiencies past couple years that certain Nick Saban teams did not, maybe not as strong on this, on the offensive line, maybe, you know, didn't have the standout receiver last year, but I do think this draft is going to be, um, a reminder of, oh yeah, that was, that was a pretty talented Alabama team that failed to get to the college football playoff last year. And oh, by the way, they had the number one overall quarterback too. Yeah. And I, when I looked at Alabama last season, I never, even though it came tantalizingly close to making the college football playoff, the game against Tennessee, game against LSU, easily could have won both those games. You also could say, well, it easily could have lost to Texas, Texas A&M. So, yeah, it could have been a five-loss team. That team was not a typical Alabama team. I never looked at it that way. Even though they had some star power, and even though Bryce Young is as good as any quarterback Alabama's ever had, probably, they didn't do the little things. They didn't protect the football. They made too many stupid penalties, and that cost them. And so I don't. I didn't ever look at that Alabama team in the same light that I did so Nick Saban's best teams. And it wasn't for lack of talent. It was just, you know, it just didn't couldn't put the finishing touches on a performance. It couldn't close out those games against Tennessee or or LSU like other Alabama teams might have. So, yeah, I, I looked at it. Man, I watching Alabama give up 52 points to Tennessee, there's no way I'd draft a safety from Alabama because those guys <laughs> look lost back there against Tennessee. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, it, when, I, when you look at that next tier of quarterbacks, John, the, the Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, and and Hendon Hooker tier, you know, depending on which NFL draft expert is, is your 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 guy of choice, you can get a different case for each. I mean, Will Levis is sort of your prototypical. If you were to make a NFL prospect in a factory with like the size, he played in a in a pro style system in college, et cetera. But he but he doesn't really have the college production that was. Uh, the knock on him now. I think he was hampered by a shoddy offensive line at Kentucky this past season and did not have the weapons around him that, let's say, a Hendon Hooker did at Tennessee. But still, um, if we're looking at college performance as being a, a determining factor, I think that's working against Will Levis. Then you have Anthony Richardson, and and he just oozes athleticism. You know, in terms of a dual threat guy, uh, which are becoming a little more common in the NFL. We saw Jalen Hurts take the Eagles to the Super Bowl this past season as a dual threat, you know, we, we know Anthony Richardson um, has the physical attributes, but was very inconsistent this past season as a, as a Florida quarterback. Look, I thought maybe he could have benefited from another season of college ball, but when you're a projected first round pick, I get heading for the pros. And then you have Hendon Hooker, who's just an, was an absolute stat stuffer the last two seasons uh, at Tennessee thrived in Josh Heupel's, up-tempo spread system, but he's coming off an ACL injury. He's 25 years old, uh, and I think there are some questions about whether he could be a quote-unquote system quarterback. We haven't seen you know, a lot of guys in the NFL flourish for a long time who've come from that Art Bryles-type system, which is, which is what Josh Heupel runs at Tennessee. Now, I think there are other reasons to take Hendon Hooker. Uh, he's incredibly accurate. He makes smart decisions. Uh, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that uh, he played in a system that maybe won't be on display in the NFL because there are certain things that he had to do in that system that that will translate to the NFL, such as d- decision making um, and and kind of thinking on on the fly. But uh, of those three, who would you have as your next quarterback off the board behind Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud? Because there is, you know, it does seem like we finally have consensus now. It's it's young one, and then Stroud is the next quarterback. But there's no consensus as as to who goes next. No, and I, I would, I can't help to help in that era. I think when when you look at players, when you look at quarterbacks who are at this level, you don't necessarily look at what they can do. If you're trying to distinguish one from the other, you look at what they can't do. And each of those guys has a has a shortcoming or a flaw that you can point out. I mean, Anthony Richards, the first time I ever saw him play, 
uh, I loved his release, how smooth he was with the ball. That was when he was barely playing. Then he gets the, the next year he comes out and he looks like uh, RG3 running downfield, just a pure sprinter who will cap off an 80-yard touchdown run by doing a flip. Just incredible. Somebody I would want to watch play. But the inconsistency, his inconsistency really bothers me. And, and accuracy. Can he be consistently accurate in a league where the window is so much smaller for a completion? And so that bothers me about him. I, I guess what I'm saying is I wouldn't draft him. I wouldn't draft him as my quarterback. I wouldn't draft him thinking I've got my quarterback for the future. Uh, Will Levis, I've never looked at him and said, now that's a surefire top 10 draft pick. I don't see him in that light either. Uh, he's got a tremendous arm. He's not afraid to try and run over a linebacker. So teammates will love that factor. But I've often, when I watch him play and I watch him get back in the pocket, to me, he moves too slowly. He's a good runner when he gets going, but watching him in the pocket when he maneuvers sometimes, to me, he's just not quick enough. That bothers me about him. Hendon Hooker, uh, he has the accuracy. Um, that, and I really like his intangibles. Uh, the problem I have with him is when I watch him run, he's an effective runner, but people say, well, he runs like an old man. Uh, hmm. that's not true. I'm an old man and I can't run at all. Uh, so he doesn't <laughs> run like an old man, but it's, uh, it's not a fluid gait and couple that with the ACL that makes me wonder about his longevity in the league. So I guess what I'm saying is I would, if I drafted those guys, I wouldn't look at it as I'm picking a guy that's going to be my franchise quarterback for the next 10 years. Uh, I, I just, I just look at those flaws. I mean, they are all a, a really good. At, and I can't, I just can't pinpoint which one of those could be the star, which one of those could be the quarterback for a team for the next 10 years. I think law of averages say one of them will be. One of them will be a bust and one will just be okay and hang around the league a while. John, I want to close with uh, wrapping up our, our thoughts on, on spring football after we saw a couple of spring games from the SEC on, on Saturday. LSU really uh, didn't have much criticism there. I thought, you know, you wanted to see Jane Daniels come out and, and look good and, and show that he has a higher ceiling this year. He, he looked good. Garrett Nussmeyer looked good. Uh, we know the transfer portal does not close until next week, but as we, as we record this, um, you know, a handful of days away from the portal closing, Garrett Nussmeyer remains in that program as the backup behind Jaden Daniels. That's a great scenario for LSU to be in. And I think we're at the point where Garrett Nussmeyer's best play uh, would be to remain in that program. He's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, even if he is to spin this season as the backup to Jaden Daniels, that leaves him two years of eligibility left uh, to to be the heir apparent as the quarterback at LSU uh, after after Jaden Daniels uh, wraps up his tenure. So I thought LSU, you know, impressed in their spring game with Alabama. All eyes were on the quarterbacks, and this was a chance for sort of one to separate himself, I thought, in the quarterback competition, maybe a chance to quiet some of those concerns that we've we've had all spring about Alabama's quarterback situation. Do they need a transfer? You know, do they have a real answer at quarterback? I thought it was kind of what I expected. Like you saw some ability from these guys. Uh, they flashed some potential, but it really did not look like a finished product. And, and the offense as a whole did not look at like a finished product. And, and spring games are tough to evaluate because if one side of the ball is struggling, it means the other side of the ball is, is probably doing something right. And, and I thought that was the case for Alabama. They, you know, credit the defense. They got a lot of pass rush. Um, and, and I thought, you know, you could, you could kind of applaud what the defense was doing. But the offensive line didn't give enough protection. Wide receivers were, were dropping passes left and right. And, and Jalen Milrow, who's the lead contender for the quarterback job was inconsistent. We saw his big play potential. We saw his game changing speed. I um, mean, he went on a 35 yard touchdown run in which he proved he was the fastest guy on the field. Uh, a few good deep balls, 
but also was inconsistent with his accuracy and threw an interception. Uh, Ty Simpson, the backup quarterback, I thought you look he, he's QB two for a reason right now. Uh, I mean, criticism though I may have of of some of Jalen Milrow's inconsistently inconsistency throughout that game, I thought Milrow was uh, was undeniably better throughout the course of that one afternoon than what Ty Simpson was. And Jalen Milrow does give you another dimension with what he can do as a runner. Like I said, he's not just a competent runner. Most games he's out there, he's going to be the fastest guy on the field. And so if you're going to have an inconsistent passer, you might as well have the better dual threat. I think Jalen Milrow's the lead contender for this job. I think it's going to be Jalen Milrow. I don't know that there's going to be uh, a rabbit in the hat in the transfer portal in the next, in the next week. And I think that's where Alabama stands is, is the likelihood that Jalen Milrow's the, the starter come September. What are your thoughts? I, I agree, Blake. Uh, I guess when I look at Jalen Milrow, I, I, I see a little KJ Jefferson there. Uh, KJ at Arkansas is a bigger guy. Jalen's certainly not small. Jalen's faster, but KJ can also break a long run. He's not slow by any stretch of the imagination. So what I think we'll see, is, I agree, he will be the quarterback. The new offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, I think he will design an offense that really maximizes Milrow's strength and minimizes his weaknesses. So you might have him say, you tell him to read half the field, not read the whole, the, the whole field when going through, as opposed to going through your in going through your progressions, and and you still have that option to just take it off and running. And I think there's that's how they will play offensively with Jalen Milrow, because the other component to that. This is not a typical Alabama receiving core, not what we saw prior to last season where you had three or four seasons in a row where Alabama seemed uh, chock full of uh, future NFL wide receivers. So I think the, the key for Alabama is how good can it build an offense around what Jalen Milrow can do. Uh, you know, we've seen K.J. Jefferson be, be really good at times at Arkansas. And yeah, if he can be as good as KJ Jefferson, Alabama is is going to be just fine. And I I, I see the comparison there. Jefferson's more of a polished, finished product. Yes. And the question I have is, yeah, is is can Milrow add some of that polish? And I think that's the question Nick Saban has. I mean, his quote after the spring game was, uh, "quote Who can play winning football? That's what I'm concerned about. You've got to eliminate the bad plays. We had too many bad plays, and he and he's spoken about that throughout the spring, not just with the quarterbacks, but with the that group in particular. I think he likes some of the ability, but you know we've talked about here, and and there's been a lot of conversation this offseason about Alabama getting to be a little bit more old school Alabama this year, more vintage Alabama, and what that means is you know relying on the offensive line, more relying on the backfield." And I have some questions about that. I think it's a a young and talented, but a little bit of an unproven offensive line. I don't see a Derrick Henry in the backfield, although I do think they have a, a few good backs. But the other part of being vintage or old school Alabama, that requires an efficient quarterback who steers you away from mistakes. It's not just about handing the ball off. Uh, you know, when Alabama was was winning national championships, toward the beginning of, of Nick Saban's dynastic run there with quarterbacks like Greg McElroy or A.J. McCarron. These guys just, uh, yeah, it was more of a ground-based offense, but they didn't just turn around and hand the ball off and do nothing else. They, they were very efficient, accurate quarterbacks who kept the team out of mistakes and, and could deliver in the clutch uh, when called upon. And so I think that's the other missing piece here when we, when we talk about Alabama getting back to bully ball or vintage Alabama, old-school Alabama. That sounds great. And, and maybe this offensive line will prove it has the ability to take care of it on that front. But they also need an efficient, accurate quarterback. Uh, and that's the lingering question I have going into the, the summer is I, I love Jalen Milrow's athleticism. I think, uh, you know, you know how I like those dual threat quarterbacks, John. And, and uh, he'll, he'll join, you know, some of the top running threats in this conference uh, as quarterbacks if he, if he does indeed lock down this job. Can you be efficient, though? Can you, you know, prevent mistakes? Alabama has not had many quarterbacks. I think only two quarterbacks in the Saban era who've thrown 10 or more interceptions in a season. Based on what we saw from 
from Milrow and his lone start last year. You know, he's kind of turnover prone against he was against Texas A&M had that interception uh, in the spring game. I, I still have some lingering concerns in that area. I think we're pretty certain that he'll be the quarterback. So if you look at him at the quarterback and you want to feel good ab- about the offense and Alabama's chances of returning to the college football playoff, you have to believe that he could make up for whatever shortcomings he has by making plays. Um, and he has – his. Uh, you hit on it. I mean, when he's in the open field, he's not running well for a quarterback. He's running better than anybody out there. He he gets in the open field, and you think, uh-oh, he's gone. If you give him an opening, he could be gone. He won't just gain 15 yards. He, he'll run 50 or maybe 80. And so he has a capacity to make plays like that that can turn games. Uh, and I, I just, I just, I think we've got to look at this whole project, so to speak, as a wait and see what can he do. But, but I don't see, uh, from what I've read and see, I don't see where there's another option right now, quarterback. It's, um, I mean, what would you do? I mean, I really think if I'm trying to win a national championship, I've got my NIL guys working in this in this second portal period and get, and saying we need a quarterback. We'll give him a couple of million uh, and sign a quarterback. I don't care if he wasn't here in the spring. Let's get a surefire player. Maybe let's hire a hire. <laughs> Maybe let's recruit uh, uh, Nussmeyer from LSU. Take their take away one of their good quarterbacks and and have him for our own and make him number one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's easier said than than sure. done, even in this freewheeling era of, of college football. I don't know that you can trot your bag man out to somebody's front door and <laughs> say, here's your what? bag. Oh, I, you can't do that anymore? Come on. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's yeah, it's a little little murkier and grayer than than, than ever. But, yeah, it, it's, it, it's good you brought, brought up the portal, John, because I think – you know, folks in, in positions like you and I or, or fans, they think, well, well, if you don't have the answer, just go into the portal and get somebody. Well, somebody's got to be in the portal to get somebody has to want to transfer to, <laughs> to get them. Right. And, and I think one of the things we're learning here is if you think you need help at a position, you better be really, really active in the winter. You know, this is the we've, we've had the portal for a while now, but this is the first year we've had these dates where guys, you know, it's a restricted window where guys can enter the portal and where they can't. And we have the winter, let's call it the winter free agency period. And it was incredibly active. A lot of good talent going into the portal at that time. And it's sort of overshadowed in many ways, the December signing period. And then we have this spring two week window. But I think what we're seeing here, you know, the portal has been reopened since April 15th. I think what we're seeing here is a lot of the top talent that wanted to transfer, they already did so. They they transferred in the winter. Uh, you know, some of them maybe maybe leveraged their abilities to get some some good NIL money. And there's still some guys going into the portal now. But I don't really see a lot of these program changing type guys heading into the portal now. I see guys going into the portal that they exited the spring, maybe not real happy with where they were in the depth chart coming out of spring practice, so they, they pop in the portal. Well, if you're Alabama, you know, and, and you're you're looking at the portal and you see guys that couldn't win the starting job elsewhere, I'm sorry, they're not helping you. Uh, you know, if 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 your your options for your starting quarterback is uh, is Jalen Milrow or some guy that couldn't lock down the job at a at a group of five school or or uh, you know some some QB three uh, from the Big 12, well, then your best option is Jalen Milrow. And and maybe we'll see here in the final week somebody else pops in the portal. But I think that's one of the lessons that we're learning. Not necessarily surprising, but but we've got some confirmation here that if you need transfer help, you better go get him in the winter because you might have uh, you know undesirable options in, in, in the spring. Blake, do you think... Uh... Devin Leary, the NC State, former NC State quarterback who transferred to to Kentucky and saved their quarterback position, I think. Uh, Was he Alabama worthy? Would you want him over Jalen Milrow? 
I would want him in the competition if you could thread that needle and pull the Lane Kiffin and, and add like all these transfer quarterbacks and not lose the guy you have. Um, I'd love to have them both. Uh, I, I'd feel better. I'll put it like this based on, on what we've seen and kind of heard throughout the spring. Um, I'd feel better if Alabama's quarterback competition was Jalen Milrow and Devin Leary versus Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson. Uh, I don't know if, if I had to choose one, you know, add Devin Leary at, at the cost of losing Jalen Milrow. Boy, that's tough. I, I don't know that I could, you know, plant my flag in the, in the ground there. Cause part of it is what's Devin Leary going to look like coming off this pectoral injury. Uh, you know, I haven't seen Jalen Milrow throughout the spring, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of weasel my way through that answer and say, uh, give me Jalen. If I, if I get two out of the three of Jalen Milrow, Devin Leary and Ty Simpson, give me Jalen Milrow and, and Devin Leary. And I think that was the hard situation with Milrow or, or, or with Alabama, right? Like everybody thinks like, well, Nick Saban should have added a, a transfer quarterback in the winter. I tend to think he probably should have, yes, but it could have been at the cost of of one of the guys that he has. That's the tightrope you kind of walk there with adding transfers as you risk losing the guys in your program. We've seen Alabama lose a lot of its depth due to the tra- transfer portal. Um, yeah, Lane Kiffin pulled it off. He kept Jackson Dart and, and added two scholarship quarterbacks, but I think that's easier said than done. I still probably would have done it if I was Alabama, tried to go get the best transfer quarterback you could have in the winter. Um, but there is a risk to that too. Well, perhaps Alabama needs a Jalen Milrow. We talk about his big playability as a runner. We're not sold on this being a great offensive line. Great point. It might be pretty good. Uh, we're not sold on this being a great receiving core. So you might need a guy that can make plays on his own. That's a that's a really good point, John. And and that also makes me further think it's going to be Milrow over Simpson. I'm not saying there was, um, you know, 200 yards of difference between these two guys. One guy was great and the other guy was a scrub on Saturday. I do think it, it reaffirmed the thinking that Milrow's in the driver's seat of this position uh, battle. But but you're right. If they had this this robust offensive line that you knew no, nobody was going to get within a country mile of the quarterback uh, and they had they had Ohio State's receiving core, then maybe I would think, Hey, maybe Ty Simpson does have a chance to win this job. He he might have the potential to be the more consistent, um, dependable passer. Didn't necessarily look the part on Saturday, but I could see where that could be the argument. But if you don't have the Ohio State receiving core, if you don't have the offensive line that's that's going to keep those pass rushers from ever getting in 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 the area code of your quarterback, you're so true. Um, there is some upside there of going with the. Uh, the guy that can can run and knife his way through the defense and give that defense something else to think about. You have to honor the the quarterback run aspect of things. All right, well, enjoy the draft, John. Sounds like uh, it's going to be appointment viewing for for you, but uh, maybe you'll we'll, we'll watch Thursday and and see where where things go after that. You can you can consult your local agate page if those still exist for what happens. Uh, well, in the next um, I'll I'll text you. Okay. And, uh, you can tell me how it's going, or man, you should have seen this. You should have heard this. All right, I'll I'll be on text duty. Uh, thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered. <laughs>